Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I am the University of Life's Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Although technically, Kieran, I've still to graduate from the University of Life because I haven't completed my running a sex shop in Brighton module. As soon well, as that, you, you, you've not lived until you've done that, Kevin. Uh, it, it's a fantastic business model as well, uh, mainly because uh, very high margins and very, very rare refunds. The, the only time I ever ended up going to get a refund, we, we used to sell, you, you know you used to get in those, those magazines when we were younger, um, they sometimes used to offer um, things to make your bits go bigger. Uh-huh. And uh, so we sold them, and the complete fraud. You sell it for about thirty quid. This this was his radio. This is nineteen eighty three, um, and then this bloke came back a few days later and says it's not worked. And uh, I said, "What do you mean it's not worked?" He says, "Well, it's it's, it's not worked." Um, and, and one of the uh, one of the working working girls was uh, was in the back room. She was just popped in for a cuppa, and. Uh, I said, well, I can't offer you a refund. You know, I don't know whether it's bigger or not. Um, and she came through and she said, drop your trousers. So he did. And she said, yeah, just give him his money back because it, it was, it, it was, unfortunately, it was, it, he, he was, he was struggling. Say no more than that. See, do you know what, Kieran? Uh, what I thought was just a light-hearted way of introducing the show has turned into yet another reason why we're not getting nominated for a BAFTA. <laughs> we haven't even started talking about football yet, and we've got a prostitute re- removing a man's trousers in your shop. <laughs> um, later, we will be talking to... Do you can imagine how many downloads we would have had, Kieran, if we just talked about football? We, about we, 12, we, I suspect. Joe, you think? Okay, I was thinking maybe 6 million. <laughs> Later, we'll be talking to Stuart Purvis, the chair of Bees United, the Brentford Supporters Trust. But first, it's Newsday, so let's have some. Um, The European Super League just refuses to go away, and the clubs behind it are planning to accuse the sports governing bodies of breaking EU competition rules. I'm never quite sure how people know that someone are planning to do something, but apparently they are planning to do just that, Kieran. Yes, they are using a, a company, I think it's called something like A22, which, which sounds like a road to me. Um, and what, they are, what their aim is, is to prove that UEFA uh, is operating a monopoly and it's, it ha- it's, it's wearing too many hats because 
It's organizing the competition as well as profiting from the the Champions League and the Europa League and so on. So um, the the people behind Super League, Perez and, and Angeli and so on, they say once again, they're going to save football by giving themselves more money um, and and breaking up what they regard um, as, as a monopoly. And they claim, or rather their representatives claim, that the, the current arrangements favours um, clubs from big countries and clubs which are state-owned or state-controlled. Now, this, this seems a little bit strange when you consider that the 12 teams in Super League were from only three countries, which happened to be arguably the you know, certainly three of the four biggest countries in terms of European football in, in England, Spain and Italy. Uh, and remember, Bayern and, and Dortmund decided they weren't going to, to, to get involved. Um, and though the clubs involved included Chelsea, uh, sorry, Chelsea, who are uh, oligarch controlled and Manchester City, who are state influenced. So uh, it, it, it did seem to be a lot, lot of inconsistency um, there. And what uh, the Super League clubs are arguing is that they should be able to set up their own competitions to run alongside uh, UEFA's competitions um, and also alongside the national competitions. And and I think that the danger there is you could end up with what we presently have in uh, in boxing, where you've got sort of effectively rival belts who are operating sort of in parallel, but also in competition with each other. Um, there, there is some some precedent for this. Uh, the, the European Court of Justice did uh, did get involved with a with a skiing dispute uh, between different organizations, but that took seven years to resolve. Um, there doesn't seem to be any political support for the Super League clubs. In fact, there seems to be completely the opposite. You know, governments seem to be lining up behind UEFA with with regards to saying that the the European style of football is actually good, it's good for competition. Um, it, it's certainly far more popular amongst the the non Big Five nations, um, and that's where we stand. But uh, they they won't let it die, um, and and they are convinced that uh, that Super League is is good. Now, in my view, it's purely driven by money because we saw. Newcastle United go for three hundred million pounds you know, last week to uh, PIF, but if you compare that to say um, uh, cricket and, and clubs in the IPL, a couple of franchises were, were sold, and, and the IPL only lasts for a, a relatively short period of time. But a couple of franchises have been sold in the last seven days for more than twice the value of mm. Newcastle United. So if you have a sealed league with guaranteed competition, which is, of course, what the Super League uh, people want, and you can imagine the Glazers uh, definitely want that at present, given Manchester United's recent results, um, that that's that's their driver. It, it's all to do with money. It, it's nothing to do with uh, saving football. All to do with money, Kieran, you say. You, you surprise me. Yes, uh, and I, yeah, we know that that seven-year legal battle for skiing was uh, very bad for the sport because it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
I'm sorry, Kieran. The, the universe wouldn't have forgiven me if I didn't do that. <laughs> As you could tell, I was almost reluctant. My voice was trying to stop me saying it, but my mind was saying, say it, say it. You've got to say it. Take the flag. It's fine. Downhill. The nomination is back, Kevin. The battle nomination is back. It's, it's just receded a little bit further, Kieran. Now, this next story, I, I'm, I don't know why, Kieran. It's just I feel disappointed. In classic teacher speak, I'm not angry with David Beckham, but I just feel a little bit disappointed by this. I just thought it was slightly shabby, but he's agreed to be the face of the Qatar World Cup and no doubt David Beckham being essentially a very decent gentleman in his own head thinks that he's selling football on a global basis and he's doing a good thing, but he's also being very well rewarded for it, Kieran, isn't he? Yeah, I, th- I think we've used this phrase before, blinded by the check. Mm. And uh, in, in the case of David Beckham, uh, it, it, it's, it's rumoured that he's going to be on, on the receiving end of uh, £150 million for yeah, being that's a, an ambassador that's for a big check. Qatar. That's a big. That's not just blinded by the check here, and that's knocked over by the check. <laughs> yes, that's a proper um, penny so, hill size check. Yeah. So for so for somebody who who is essentially a male model, yeah, yeah. Let, let's be honest, uh, uh, and I can assure you, uh, he's he's a gay icon as well um, in terms of his popularity um, with with the gay community. I think there, there there is, as you say, a sense of disappointment uh, that he is choosing to be the the ambassador for for Qatar. Um, yeah, to give this a sense of scale, FIFA's World Cup sponsors, you know, the likes of uh, you know McDonald's and and uh, Hisense and and you know, Qatar Airways, which is, is slightly different, they will probably be paying in the region of thirty to thirty five million pounds for the privilege of wow. sponsoring the competition. Now, this this money is 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 exempt from that. It's it's separate to that because it's coming from uh, the I think the tourist authority itself. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how this this lies with his position as a UNICEF ambassador <laughs> as well. Uh, for a country which is, uh, you know, has been accused of uh, human rights issues, um, so so yes, I, I think think some people are surprised. Although it could, of course, be an opportunity for for David Beckham to to speak up on 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 issues um, and and progress could be made. So, so we mustn't mustn't prejudge that. Um, and also, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be watching the World Cup next year whether it's you know i don't know whether i'm going to go i've not yet decided whether to try to apply for tickets but i'll certainly be watching england and, and the other countries on television so you know, is there an element of hypocrisy from ourselves that that we're we're prepared to uh, to tut tut uh, in terms of somebody who will be financially benefiting it from it when we will be benefiting from the football itself yeah, I, yeah, no, it's a very fair point, Kieran. And I don't want to prejudge his role either, because as I say, his reputation in football is as a very nice, very decent, very kind young man. But I'm, I'm guessing, Kieran, if he's been offered that sort of money, there will have been a suggestion, at least, that he doesn't talk about the issues concerning those those parts of the world. And he's he's known in football as somebody who manages his brand, manages his image very carefully and, and as you say he will alienate many of his of his gay fans by supporting a world cup that's taking place in a country that has a less liberal attitude to homosexuality shall we say but at the same time he's perfectly entitled to to, to take the money he's got a family he's you know 
and it is a very big check, as you say. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've never really, you know, I, I can turn down a small amount of money from the sun, but to be, as we talked about recently, but to be honest, if they doubled it, I I'll probably would have started thinking about it. And if they'd quadrupled it, who knows what I might have done. So let's not, you know, and as they say, until you've walked a mile in a man's shoes, and I imagine his shoes are lovely. Um, yes. <laughs> apparently, apparently wears three pairs of underpants a day, by all accounts, which comes as a shock to oh, comes as a shock to every man I tell. Yeah, never wears the same pair of socks twice, by all accounts. So that's a, that's a lot of socks. So he needs that is a lot of socks. That is a lot. Yeah, of, yeah. So even even if you're going to TK Maxx, you need a big check to get through that amount of socks. Um, one of the clubs that's perennially always on our our good step is Plymouth Argyle, who've released their latest accounts. And they have received a golden honour, Kieran. They've received the Kieran Maguire pat on the back, which is one of the greatest <laughs> rewards a football club can look for. If you're not going to win the FA Cup, if you can get that pat on the back in the trophy cabinet, then you're very happy. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, huge huge credit to, to Plymouth Argyle. Um, you know, we're in October. They've, they've brought out their accounts for 2021. They've not tried to go down the abbreviated accounts route that the the prior the, the prior owners had used. So, um, you know, we, we've had Simon Hallett, the the club owner, on the show, um, and and he was very uh, very transparent. and And that's what I've always said: all that fans are looking for, you know, be open, be transparent, be full, be comprehensive, and. Yeah, I, I I know that ninety nine percent of fans don't actually give a hoot about the accounts or the finances. Yeah, we, and to a certain extent, I, I agree with them totally in the sense that I, I go to football to to shout and scream and, and and go berserk like everybody else. But being able to just monitor the club because we do want the club to be around in five or ten years is essential. So, so Plymouth have brought brought out their accounts, and I think it is indicative of a, a well-run club that makes sensible decisions. So, um, they they would have lost a lot of money, but they were one of the clubs who had taken out business interruption insurance, and and they got a two point four million pound settlement from their insurance company. Now, you know that that meant that actually overall. They ended up making a profit, you know, and, and they a, a small profit, but um, it is indicative of they they see the bigger picture. We, we've got other clubs whining about COVID and, and the EFL and other things. Well, Plymouth said we we need to do an assessment. We need to consider the risks uh, associated with running a football club. One of which is that you can't play matches. So therefore, they went and paid paid the premium. And um, they they've reaped the rewards as a result. Um, so I, I do think it's a well-run club. I, I, I've I've always taken the view that the clubs have a special place in our uh, in our society, and, and that clearly was echoed uh, and, and made very clear by Tracy Crouch in, in the fan-led review interim report. Um, and we're looking forward to the full report coming out next month. But that that special place should come at a price, and that price should be fullness and transparency mm. uh, and fair play to Plymouth for doing that and, and also hats off to Norwich City who 20 minutes before we started recording this show they they brought out their figures as well and my, my, my spreadsheet was was going into overdrive um, when we started recording so, Ooh, and, and both of these clubs are clubs who you think 
they know where they are in terms of the place that they they represent in in the towns and cities for for which they are uh you know they are associated oh i love i love the idea of your hot spreadsheet kieran it's just glowing glowing with anticipation for you to open it up and you shouldn't have started talking about sex shops at the start of this show kieran you've set me off um <laughs> yeah so congratulations to plymouth argyle and congratulations to us for getting through almost the entire discussion about them without mentioning the phrase sleeping giants. Or um, Green Army. Or Green Army, indeed. Or Ginsters. Uh, that's, oh, now I feel hungry. Now I've gone off the sex shop idea. I just want a pasty. Um, <laughs> Southend United uh, have had a torrid, a torrid few years. Um, but, this, but this might be some uh, good news for them. The 20,000, 22,000 seats, I beg your pardon, stadium has been granted planning permission, which sounds good news, Kieran, but at the risk of upsetting Southend fans even further, that also sounds like it's probably 12,000 seats too big. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even when Southend were in the championship, and I, and I remember going to Southend, I think it was on a Tuesday night we were in the championship, yeah. um, a, you know, a, a few years ago, they were only averaging then Ten and a half thousand. Now, there's a case for saying build it and they will come, and that that has been the case with respect to to many stadiums. There's there's no doubt, but there's also the concern that you know at present they they they've they've dropped out of the football league. They are at the wrong end of the national league, mm. um, and, and and you fear that it, it could end up like another Reynolds Arena as far as Darlington were concerned, and, and that didn't end up well. However, looking at the stadium, the stadium is part of a much broader piece of property development, uh, which involves 1,400 homes and and a hotel. Um, So it's a case of the the existing uh, Roots Hall will be be effectively knocked down and the the new development will... um, in, well, if, if it works out for the owner, Ron Martin, will generate enough money for him to to potentially invest in the football club. So you know, that would be the positives. Um, it, it's difficult to assess Southend's finances. You know, we've just been effusively praising uh, Plymouth and uh, Norwich because Ron Martin has chosen not to publish any account since 2019. And you know, in my view, there's never a good reason for, for not publishing information. All that we know was that in the last set of accounts they did publish, um, they, they had creditors of around about £20 million. And if you if you go to the South End Echo website, you will find that, uh, that Mr. Martin, who is a property developer, is, uh, is currently uh, up on charges from HMRC for not handing over VAT of five and a half million pounds on land which he sold for other developments. So that doesn't wow. doesn't reflect particularly well on him, doesn't particularly well reflect on uh, Jeffrey King, who is who is the club's chief executive. I think he's been named as well. So um yeah, prop- property and football clubs uh always get me twitchy and, and property mm. developers and football clubs make me doubly twitchy. If he's if he owes five and a half million pound VAT, then that's a huge sum of money that he's earned, then, isn't it? Because I presume even at that level, it's still twenty percent VAT, is it? Yes. So I think this was on land that he'd sold to. I think it was Red Row Homes. Right. Um, so who would have actually built the property? So yeah, this is purely, I think, on the sale of land. 
Um, so yes, we, we we are talking about um, you know in, incredible sums of money being involved here, and you know property developers are are part of society. They they earn their money. Uh, you know, again, we, we're not going to judge them uh, in terms of the ethics of the industry, but. Um, if, uh, if if you if you pick up the VAT from the other party, then then you're obliged to hand it across to the tax authorities. And I'm I'm perfectly happy to get judgy about property developers, Kieran. I'm I, I don't like them. I think the world <laughs> I think the world would be a better place without them. Same as private landlords, frankly. I know he's a I know he's a very wealthy man, Kieran. But is he wealthy enough to finance a twenty two thousand seater stadium and a fourteen hundred home estate? It's a, that's going to take a lot a lot of money, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I, I think he he will he will have put the finances in place, and some of those homes might be sold or might actually be built by other developers than himself. So, oh, yeah. um, it, it, the fact that this has now been approved by the local council that they will have had some form of financial scrutiny of the plans and presumably funding would be part of that. But you're still looking at what from planning permission to completion. That's that's going to be six, seven years, isn't it, before Southend have a new stadium? Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've, we've not we've not got uh, we've not got spades in the ground yet. So it, it is going to be a fair few years. I, I think Roots Hall's capacity is isn't going. Yeah, you know, they're not going to be bursting at the seams where they presently are, um, as far as their achievements in, in the national yeah. league are concerned. Um, at the same time, there's there's always been an argument for saying that that football grounds need to uh, need to be utilised on a more regular basis. So if, yeah, it, if it's yeah. a multifunction stadium, and I think this is part of the plans with the aim of holding events there. Although how that would fit in with fourteen hundred uh, homes nearby, you, you don't want uh, necessarily it to be used for for loud events. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Now, here's a name we haven't mentioned for a few weeks, Kieran. Thank the good Lord. Um, Derby County and the American businessman Chris Kirchner has confirmed he wants to buy the club. He's described, Kieran, by several sources as the flamboyant businessman. And when it comes to people getting involved in football clubs, that word flamboyant always really sets alarm bells ringing, doesn't it? Uh, yes, because uh, Derby County were subject to an offer, in theory, from another flamboyant person, uh, Eric Alonso, uh, <laughs> fairly recently, uh, best described as a fantasist uh, yeah. by, by, by many, um, who, who famously uh, showed uh, photographs of an absolutely fantastic <laughs> uh, uh, dwelling, uh, which appeared not to actually be his, but he seemed to be inferring the opposite was true. So... So we, Chris we, Kirchner, Kieran, Kieran, we know it wasn't his. We, the, the Kardashians could clearly be seen in the background of the photograph. It definitely, <laughs> it definitely wasn't his. But to be fair to him, he, he did take a flamboyant photograph. He did. He did. The trouble is, he took it off the internet. So Chris Kirchner has made an offer to the administrators. The administrators have confirmed the bid. Um. Do we know how much uh, that is? We we don't. That's uh, but the administrators have said you know, they are still in negotiations with other parties. So um, they will be trying to see if they can get a better offer. Uh, presumably, uh, lit, the word flamboyant and logistics aren't normally mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence, um, but that's that appears to be Mister Kirchner's background. 
Um, looking at his logistics company, it's only got a turnover of around about £10 million a year. So the, web, oh. the website's fantastic. Um, £10 million a year turnover compared to Derby County as a football club who, who you know, are earning you know, the best part of £30 million in a year in, in the EFL when that, when, because they, they get good, good gate receipts. Um, seems to be a bit of an inconsistency, but he's also claimed that he's got his wealth is held in other private companies. And um, in the US, uh, the US is not as transparent as, as what we see here in the UK in terms of, of corporate behavior, because uh, private companies have successfully lobbied uh, the US government to keep privacy as private as possible. Um, he, he's, he's written uh, an open letter to the uh, Derby, Derby fan base, which again is saying all of the right things, which could be a positive. Um, but I, I think he's also got to um, consider himself the you know, if, if he is going to be the, the potential owner of a club, then there is a certain standard of behaviour that is expected. So a, a a fan, and admittedly, it's a fan of Nottingham Forest, uh, said to him on Twitter. How are you going to fund a bid which you know, to cover the, the existing football debts and, and mm. money owed to HMRC, um, all of which have to be paid in, in full, um, as well as 25% to the unsecured creditors? You know, I think we're looking realistically at £50 million. How are you going to get that money? Um, and he's, his reply was, Mr. Kirchner, was, um, I'm, uh, uh, Nottingham Forest sucks, and I'm not going to tell you. Now, that's as far as a childish response is concerned. You know, high fives all round. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the type of behaviour um, you'd expect from the likes of us. But we're not setting ourselves up to be uh, paragons of virtue or potential owners of football clubs. Um, so he, he's probably he's he's gone for the populist appeal there. Um, but you think, well, is is that what you expect from a successful business person? I don't think Derby County fans will worry about that. I should think that's the first time they've laughed in about two years. I would guess. True, true. So you 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 think he's he's more than a, a tire kicker to use your celebrated phrase? You think he's a serious contender to actually buy Derby County? Yes, because what the administrators will have done is they will have said to all interest interested parties. If you want to see the the inner workings, what's known as the data room, which contains all of the assets which are available to buy, the, the management accounts, the, the published accounts and the unpublished accounts and so on. Um, the way that it works is that because they, they want to get rid of the tyre kickers, you have to pay a deposit of, let's say, 500 grand. So right. you know, the fact that he has clearly managed to find that money um, and, he, and he, did flew, he did fly across and I think he was at the, the most recent home game or away game, um, then you know, that, that does indicate that, it, that he is... Um, more serious than, than some of the other people, potentially. Um, and, and that's got to be a positive. Okay. Uh, still with America, Kieran, and Angel City FC have announced a plan to share the club's revenue with the players. Which clubs sort of do that anyway, don't they? Well, they they do unofficially in the sense that uh, there's quite often bonuses if you achieve certain levels. But this is a um, this is a new uh, rostered club uh, in the National Women's Super League uh, in in the USA. It's it's they play in 
Los Angeles. They're going to start in 2022. But what, what I think is quite novel is that they said that um, they're going to give, and it's, it's, it's only 1%, but it still is 1%, uh, mm. 1% of the, uh, of the ticket revenues are going to players who use their social media accounts to promote the club. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it is a revenue share. Um, what, what intrigued me was that it looks as if they've, they've already sold 11,000 season tickets uh, oh. and, and they're not even going to start playing until 2022. Um, I think this is indicative of the, the, the interest in the women's game in the States. One of the founders of Angel City is uh, Natalie Portman, um, which, you know, she, so she's very high profile. Um, they've also recruited a, a player who's on the, the highest ever contract in, in the history of the NWSL. On She's on, uh, I think it's a $700,000 contract over three years. So um, the American game, uh, you know, the, the, women, the women's game is extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've, we've seen that with the American national team. Um, and it looks like that that success and interest is filtering down to to the club game as well. It's, it's not only huge in terms of spectators; it's huge in terms of participation. I can't think the exact figure, but the numbers involved. As a friend of mine was a coach out there, a huge amount of women and girls actually play football as well as watch it, which is which is great. They're kind of ten years ahead of us, really, aren't they, in America in terms of women's football? Yes, yeah. I mean, the I know the lionesses are. Are making a lot of progress, and and they they had a ten nil victory against uh, Latvia uh, mm. only the other night. So um, yeah, the, the the women's game in in the UK is is making progress, but uh, I, I think uh, I think there's there's lots to be learnt from the US yeah. uh, in terms of of marketing and, and delivery of the sport, um, and and I'm sure the people involved in clubs are are monitoring things closely. The social media aspect is an interesting one, Kieran, as well. I think one of the most uh, watching the the aftermath, and this is the only word you can describe it, of the Man United Liverpool game, which I couldn't. I felt guilty. It was like two of my best mates are Man U fans, but I, I couldn't not watch it. Uh, but Gary Neville having an explosive rant about because he he said the people that were, you know are going to be getting their heads together are the the players' social media team. And he said, I want the players to go on social media themselves. He said, instead, they'll all be planning their, a response. They'll all be sending out platitudes on Twitter that have been written for them by highly paid club employees. And it's, uh, it's, it's an, an aspect of the game that we don't really know much about, do we? No, no. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do some digging around to see if we can, we can find somebody involved on the marketing side uh, and perhaps we'll try to get them on the show. Yeah, that's our euphemism saying we'll ask Guy. Uh, and finally, we're on the other side of the planet. Well, that's, I suppose it depends on which side of the planet you're already on. In Australia, the A-Leagues are set to receive a huge payday, Kieran, after a stake of the competition was sold to an American private equity firm for around £70 million. Yes, um, this is uh, intriguing. Uh, the company involved are called Silver Lake, uh, and people might be aware that they actually own around about 10% of Manchester City as well. Mm. Um, and they are a private equity technology company. Um, so, you know, why are they getting involved in football? But th- th- there does seem to be 
uh, an awful lot of money sloshing round from private investors who see football as a potential growth market. The, what, it, what intrigues me is, I mean, the, the, you know, 70 million is, is a lot of money by Australian standards. Um, the football, football in Australia, to a certain extent, is being squeezed. Um, by other sports, you know they've got Aussie rules. There's rugby interest as well. If you take a look at the attendances in the the A League, um, you know the, the big clubs in, Sil- in Sydney and Melbourne, they will perhaps you know the, to- the top attendances are are eighteen thousand, which is what you'd probably associate with a mid tier championship team. But it drops down to four thousand at the bottom of the division, which is sort of more League One. Um, so so that valuation. Is, is probably fair, uh, but if thirty percent of the of the A League is worth seventy million, then then the whole thing is worth less than two hundred and fifty. So it's you know it's worth less than Newcastle United's uh, bid. Uh, you know, you and I both know that that you know there's been talk about Palace's investors uh, valuing the club at around about two twenty to two forty. So it's worth mm. the whole of Australian football is worth around about the same as Palace. Um, so it, it it is very much a minority sport in Australia, but if the likes of Silver Lake can uh, apply some of their technological skills, then I think what they're trying to do is to build an audience because uh, you know the broadcasters aren't paying huge amounts for it because it, it's it's not what drives subscriptions over there. I shall use that as a consolation when we inevitably get hammered by Man City on Saturday. I'll just say, lads, don't worry, we're, we're bigger than Australia. It's fine. <laughs> now, interview time, Kieran. Uh, Stuart Purvis has been chair of Bees United, the Brentford Supporters Trust, for over two years now and is one of very few directors of a top football club chosen by the fans. Kieran had a chat with him about all things Bee. <laughs> I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Thanks so much for coming on the price of football. Um, Premier League is it? Is it what you thought it was going to be? Everything and a bit more, Kieran. Um, obviously, because the results have gone probably a lot better than most people expected, uh, because the team have played really well, uh, and because there's a sort of prospect of the phrase in the club, which is thriving, not just surviving. And I think we do appear to be thriving at the moment. We're not naive to think needs to go on like that forever but uh, so far so good tremendous tremendous um let's be honest brentford they, they are a successful club the progress they've made does that does that therefore mean that they they still need a supporters trust or do you think they need it more than ever under under the present circumstances 
Well, the supporters trust uh, started 20 years ago last month, actually, and it started uh, when these things often start when things are going badly and somebody thought something has to happen. So 20 years ago, they were in the lowest uh, league. Uh, the owner, a man called Ron Nodes, who will be familiar to people around South London football clubs, Indeed. was probably trying to pull off a property deal too far and the fans thought something needed to be done about it. Um, and then the short history is that for about five years, the battle for the guys who were around then, and I have to say I, I wasn't around then, so I don't take either credit or the blame, their, their battle was to get control of the club off Ron Nodes. The second five years was about uh, having achieved that, running it uh, at a sort of financially sane level and looking for somebody who might be able to bring more money to the club, which was achieved when Matthew Benham, uh, a lifelong Brentford fan, began to invest in the club and then eventually took control. And at that point, you could have thought, well, the Supporters Trust, known as Bees United, had done its job. But the guys then did a really smart deal with Matthew Benham, which was, OK, we'll sell you the club. You take management control. We want one director seat on the board. And we want you to sign something which everyone calls a golden share. And that golden share says that you can't do what Ron Nodes was trying to do, which was a property deal. You cannot sell Griffin Park unless there is an alternative stadium we can go to, which meets certain conditions. And basically, that's the way things played out. The fans had always wanted to move to a new stadium. They found the place to move to. Uh, Matthew put the money in. Uh, and when it came to time for uh, Bees United to have to give its permission to move to the new stadium, Bees United was delighted to do that. Uh, and so that golden share still sits in the hands uh, of Bees United. And I'm the lucky person who is the Bees United representative on the board of Brentford. We think I'm the only fan elected director of a Premier League club. That might change in the next few years, we'll see. But that's the good place we're in today. That, that, that's superb. So just, just coming back to this idea of a golden share, and uh, I'm quite friendly with another Brentford fan who's, who's written about this from a legal perspective. It does appear to um, give you the, the, the opportunity to ensure that fans, fans' interests are always preeminent when it comes to the decision making without having to therefore get involved also on a, on a day-to-day basis. What what, what other rights uh, and, and privileges does the Golden Share give to the supporters' trust? Well, I wouldn't want to sort of overcook the uh, amount of influence I have on the board because, look, you know, Bees United sold the club to, to Matthew and his, his team, uh, and particularly the, the directors of football he appointed have done a fantastic job. I see my role as making sure the relationship between the club and the fans works. Uh, there is a separate supporters club, and actually it was a supporters club who first actually set up Bees United as a separate organisation. That sounds a bit sort of bureaucratic, but it was quite sensible because uh, the, the supporters club known as Bias, the British uh, the uh, Brentford Independent Association of Supporters still doing a really important job on a day-to-day level, allowing me and, and the board of Bees United to take a kind of longer-term view, looking more at the governance of the club and the overall balance between uh, the club and the fans, rather than being, if you like, the shop steward for the fans. I, I don't claim to be that. I do claim to have the fans' interests at heart, 
but I'm not the only person who will be talking, say, to the chief executive about fans, about fans' concerns, about issues that fans want to connect with the club on. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I mean, yeah, certainly, I, you know, I've, I've read, uh, I've read the articles. I, th- I think the, the the model that you have is is something which you know could form the basis for the the fan led review. I, you know, I, I presume that you may have made representations to to the committee there. Um, but you know, when, when I see it, I think it's got the best of both worlds. It allows the professional managers within the football club to do their day-to-day uh, activities um, w- without interference. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, as a football fan, uh, you know, what I might want can sometimes be a bit too short-term uh, in terms of the interest of the club, and and probably other fans can do that as well. Um, but at the same time, it allows you to just have that strategic sort of power of veto, as you said, in terms of the protection of history and heritage of the club, which is absolutely essential. Yeah, that's very well put, Kieran. I mean, yeah, like you, I, I gave evidence to, to Tracy Crouch and her panel, and they did seem very interested in in the in the Brentford model, as it's become known. And in her interim findings, without naming any club in particular, she does talk about the possibility of a golden share in more clubs. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a golden share or it's a special share, as it's actually called in our, in our articles, were to be, if not uh, demanded of all clubs, at the very least recommended, because uh, the issue which actually I think Tracy, concerns Tracy is particularly, as you say, in heritage terms, it's the name of the club. And we all remember the Hull Tigers episode. It's mm. about the club colours. And we remember the, the Cardiff uh, blue to red. Um, but it also, I think, is about the ground because this separation of clubs from grounds uh, has obviously been problematic at a number of places. And therefore, I think giving a supporter's trust, and it does have to be a kind of registered trust that goes through certain regulatory hoops to be given the power to have a golden show, giving such trusts a veto in very particular circumstances. I think I would personally say it, it works at Brentford, and I don't actually say why it wouldn't work at other places. I, I, I agree absolutely with you entirely. Um, so mo- moving on to, uh, you know, this, this is a finance show as well. Um, the Brentford financial model uh, has got many admirers, of whom I am one. Are you surprised that, that more clubs have not tried to adopt it historically and, and as sort of as, a, as an aside question, um, do you think it's going to become more difficult to repeat that model in in a the Premier League, but b in in a post Brexit world? Well, the uh, a number of clubs would say that they use data. I think what makes Brentford a little bit different, I think, also probably makes your uh, club Brighton different, is access to what you might call proprietary data. In other words. Uh, Matthew Benham uh, owns a company and Tony Bloom owns a company, but they work together until they rather fell out, uh, in which they are interested in forecasting football results, mostly for the information of gamblers. Now, to do that forecasting, they need absolutely the best data they can get, and they gather a lot of it themselves. A lot of it is actually done uh, by people actually watching matches all over Europe, by recording matches all over Europe, by creating their own methodology and their own algorithms that work from that. So if you have got your own data, as well as the data you can buy by the yard virtually nowadays, you do have a a competitive advantage. 
But I suppose the reality is that people are, are catching up. Uh, but I mean, if you give you a very good example, uh, Vitali Janelt, uh, a young German midfielder we picked up from Bochum uh, last season, a bit of a last minute signing. We were a bit short in midfield. It said that when Brentford contacted Bochum to buy Janel, they were they hadn't even noticed he was very good themselves. Right. <laughs> so they got you know one of the reasons we picked him up cheap was that they were genuinely surprised. Uh, but actually, the data showed that this guy was going to be good. And oh my God, he is good. And now, apart from an injury he's got at the moment, he's you know he's a starter in the Premier League. Superb, superb. And uh, yeah. Are you fishing in the same pool now? Because clearly, you know, the the additional money that you get from the broadcasting deals from the Premier League means that uh, people now know who Brentford are. So do you do you now anticipate that if you do come knocking at a German club or a Norwegian club, they will say, ah, oh, it's a Premier League football club and they're going to start to to add a few figures onto the onto the price that you may have thought you've been able to uh, acquire the player for? I think the evidence is that that started already, yes, and and it probably started back in the championship when people thought, well, if Brentford are interested in this person, there must be a good reason for doing that. Therefore, they must attach value to them and we're going to increase the value uh, to to them, to the selling club. But of course, where uh, Matthew Benham and his his team, particularly Phil Giles and Rasmus Ankers, are so smart is for looking at markets where other people may not have looked. Now, you're absolutely right. Brexit is is going to have an impact. There's, There's no denying that. Because, you know, if you look at the French second division, if you look at now, recently, in the case of Janot, the German second division, these places, uh, you know, you can recruit. And you've explained really well on your show how that how recruitment has to happen now through uh, under the new rules. But also, I think uh, Benham and his team pride themselves on, on being ahead of the market, if you like, of having new ideas about where you can recruit from. Uh, and so to a certain extent, I think probably, uh, and I'm not on not on the inside track of this, we're looking at places other than the French second division, if you like, uh, and maybe at new markets. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you've said that you are um, an elected official onto the the board of the football club. I, I notice in your constitution there, there isn't a reciprocal that there is no club employee can be on the board of the trust. Is, is there a particular reason for that? Well, there was a period, and again, slightly before my time, when there was a sort of there was kind of some people were slightly coming and going between the club and the trust, and it all got a little bit complicated. And so, uh, as I understand, it was decided that as the chairman of the trust, I was, if you like, the nominated representative on the board. But for instance, I don't get paid as a member of the board, and indeed, I, w- I would not, and am not allowed to take any financial benefit from that. Uh, I mean, obviously, I get access to the director's box and that sort of stuff, but I don't get any cash. So uh, that keeps the trust as an independent body. And I suppose it goes back to one of your earlier questions, Kieran. This is kind of what's the point of the trust if everything is going so well? But you know, you know better than anyone in football who, you know, nothing lasts the same forever. And, you know, we have no reason to believe Matthew was ever going to do anything to, to, you know, to the detriment of the club. But, you know, who can say what might follow, you know, if Matthew Matthew were to sell the club or something else were to happen. So, you know, we have a, a kitty, let's call it that, for uh, for, for, uh, for action if it were ever needed. Um, and we always have to be on the alert for, for anything which might be detrimental to the long-term interests of the fans. Great, great. So, so um, 
Did you have to submit to to the Premier League and to the EFL in terms of the owners and directors test when you were appointed? Or yes, just yes, just like any other non-executive director, they needed to know you know who I was and and, and all that sort of stuff. Yes, I, I I'm pleased to say I passed that test. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Um, now Brentford at Griffin Park was famous for the the four pubs, and and this question's actually come. Um, from Kevin, he he wants to know a how are you coping without a pub on every corner, and b <laughs> are there any recommendations as to where people should now consider going uh, in terms of away fans? I mean, I I, I was I was at Brentford uh, fairly recently to to see see my team play there, and I must say it was it was a it was a, a what a fantastic ground. Uh, it, I think it does everybody at the club credit, but B, the the local watering holes were also superb and ridiculously friendly. Yes, well, to to the first part of uh, Kevin's question, three of the four pubs uh, at Griffin Park still exist, and a lot of fans still go there and then still walk. And it's about a sort of twenty minute walk from the Griffin Park pubs to the new stadium, and that's 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 a great part of the of, of the heritage. There is a pub right next door to the ground that cannot, the new ground, the new stadium that cannot believe its luck really and is doing a fantastic business. That would mostly be for home fans. But really just across the road on Kew Bridge or just under Kew Bridge really, there are a couple of wonderful pubs, uh, Riverside pubs, which tend to be used mostly by the away fans. And I would absolutely recommend those that, uh, to go. And, you know, it, it's, it's a lovely day out, to be blunt. Uh, you go to a Riverside pub, you wander across the road into a nice stadium and watch Brentford beat your team. Absolutely. Terrific. Um, we, we, we get a lot of listeners from um, clubs all over the country and part part of the reason why we're we're still going because we we have said in an ideal world we want to stop the podcast because there's no more bad news to talk about um but sadly there is so um you know there there's currently issues in terms of clubs such as Rochdale and Oldham we've seen the demise of uh Macclesfield and Bury though it looks like you know things are are turning the corner at both of those clubs if um, if fans at other clubs wanted to find out more about the Golden Share, is, is there is there anywhere that they can go to on your website, or can they contact anybody at the Brentford Supporters Trust? Um, because you know, I, I think it's it, it ticks all the boxes uh, in in terms of governance and uh, fan protection, uh, and I'm sure there must be other people interested as well. Yes, and in fact, I've, I've tried to be of help recently to, to the guys at Oldham at the, the Boundary Park Alert System, as they call their podcast, um, and uh, I gave a, a quite a long interview to them explaining how it worked, but they could, people are very welcome to email me. That's Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T dot Purvis at bsunited.org.uk, and I'm happy to send them uh, the articles. I have written on our website a number of pieces about uh, the golden share and how it works, and about my evidence to the uh, Tracy Crouch um, inquiry. It, I think it's worth adding on the subject to Tracy Crouch, uh, uh, Kevin, that Tracy asked a number of questions about uh, fan elected non executive directors. Uh, in her interim finding, she was 
pretty cool on the idea. And she said it. why that was, was that a lot of fan elected directors had put her off the idea because some of them, I do know because there is a sort of small network of us, have actually been placed in some pretty awkward positions, almost stuck between uh, club owners and club fans and found it quite uncomfortable. And on that basis, I, I think she's reluctant to recommend it. But we've been on to her and saying, look, do a little, please have another think about that. Again, I don't, I don't think it's anyone near being recommended or uh, being uh, enforced on a club. But I think, you know, there is value in it. And I'd, I'd hate to think it was just going to be sort of the idea was just going to be thrown away. Right. Yeah. Terrific. Well, thanks so much, Stuart. Really appreciate you giving up your time. Uh, carry on the great work. Yeah, it's, it's great to see you on Match of the Day every every Saturday and sadly Sundays as well, given, given the nature of modern day football. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll meet up on Boxing Day. Thanks very much. Look forward to that, Kieran. See you then. All the best. Obviously, it's, um, it's a very, very good time to be a Brentford fan. I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark here and say I think they'll probably be in the Premier League next season as well. I'm I'm kind of amazed that more clubs haven't looked at the Brentford model. Um, yes, uh, I, I think there's still a an old school belief in football that all of this data analytics is is nonsense. Um, but it's the trouble with data. It's 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 a bit like a piano. Um, you know, many clubs might have one, but it's knowing how to play it that that really matters and. Um, where the clubs such as Brentford are ahead of the game is that they will be using the propriety data that they produce themselves via Matthew Benham's own uh, own, uh, own company, Smart Odds, as well as what you can what you can buy effectively over the counter. So, uh, yeah, very very impressive. And what impressed me most of all was the 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 golden share. Uh, that the the bees uh, have in terms of the the supporters' involvement, which is there to protect those things that we hold most dear as fans, such as the stadium, the shirt, the badge, and so on, while still allowing the the, the professional managers to get on with their day to day jobs and not interfere with them. Mm. Now, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, please, please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of And we will try to get to that question as quickly as possible round about 2025, the way things are going. And <laughs> in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran McGuire for his customary farewell. And let's see, Kieran, if we can end the show on a slightly more, or slightly more, slightly less smutty level than we started it with. I'll do my best. Um, once again, folks, thank you very much for your support. Thank you for your feedback. Um, if you if you want to get to uh, give us some good karma, you can do that by going on to the uh, Apple Podcast app and uh, and giving us a review. And if you can give us five stars, that's absolutely fantastic. It, it helps us in the charts. Um, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you write. Um, you, you could say you'd, you'd rather the show was presented by Michael Gove and Dawn French, and, and I, for one, would certainly listen to that. Um, and um, you, that that helps us 
in terms of sponsors and uh, getting guests because they, they look to see where we are. Do, do we have a, do we have a profile? Um, and, and it helps bump us up the charts. Other than that, stay safe and look after yourselves. It's it's a toss up as to who's the better dancer, isn't it, out of Dawn French and Michael Gove? Because Dawn's <laughs> Dawn's a very good dancer, but, but Michael, wow, he's he's cracking, isn't he? Just get yeah. just get Michael Gove and the banging tunes. Who knew? I'm for the